Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Pastor Gary for the word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome church. It's good to see you all this morning as we come before the Lord. And so, um, well, there are going to be some announcements today. And um, although not what we would, some of us would like, um, nevertheless, we are taking some steps and hopefully we will be able to come together um, soon and what a joy that will be but in the meantime we'll continue to um, utilize the time that we have and the opportunity that we do have that we can come together through zoom i mean just the, the, the fact that the technology today allows us to do so in a way that keeps us connected is a, a blessing in and of itself so um, praise the lord for that now we're going to continue as I minister this morning. I've uh, been doing a series. It's been a number of weeks since I last spoke, but I have been doing a series on the um, the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And so um, we've looked at uh, four specifically over the course of uh, that series. And so we are going to look at the fifth one uh, today. And it's found in the gospel of John in chapter 19, which we'll read in just a moment. But as we uh, consider this particular saying, these words that proceed from the mouth of our Lord this morning, I think I just want to um, establish the context because it's important for us to understand what's going on and at the point of time we are at in the midst of the crucifixion and the words that are being spoken. And so although we're going to be reading from John's gospel, that particular statement, it's important to note because Matthew's gospel gives us an overview and a context to these particular statements as well. And so um, in the gospel of Matthew, it talks about the fact that um, you'll remember when we last considered the, 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 the fourth saying of Christ was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it was, in, in, uh, it was directly after Jesus spoke those words as well that we find in Matthew's gospel that there's an account where that one ran to him and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine. And so this is, this is immediately following those particular words as well. So the context is uh, in relation to the words that are spoken, which are recorded in John's gospel, but nevertheless, it, it, we also get an overview of what's going on as we consider Matthew in the act of, uh, itself being carried out. And so this is important because it's following on from those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we'll make a little bit more sense of that as we go through the message this morning. But it is important that we take note of that because remember, during that time, there was uh, in the middle of the day, it went dark for three hours. And we looked at the fact that um, Jesus, uh, we, the doctrine of penal substitution, where Christ 
was um, uh, God made him who knew no sin to be for sin for us. So he became the sin bearer. He bore our sin there on that cross where darkness covered the earth for those three hours in the middle of the day as God's wrath and judgment was, uh, was uh, put, uh, placed upon him. So that's significant because it's going to play into the text that we're going to look at this, this morning. And so there are multiple aspects that we can draw upon as we read the text today. But I just want to put that backdrop there and I want to read it and we want to consider a few aspects that we can draw from in uh, the, the text itself in the Gospel of John chapter 19 and verse number 28. So if you could read with me as we look at the text this morning. Now the Bible says that after this, uh, uh, again, in the context here of what's going on in John, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, there it is again. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, there are two aspects this morning that I want to draw your attention to as we seek to establish exactly what Jesus is saying and what he means also by what is being said. Because obviously there's just the, 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 the first aspect that we consider that he's thirsty, physically speaking. And so, and, and, and so it is. He is physically thirsty. But there's also another aspect as well that I want to draw to your attention to as we go through it. Because to this statement, I thirst, there is a physical component, but there's also a spiritual component that is attached to the particular statement that I want us to acknowledge as we go through the message this morning. And so uh, overall, both are connected to the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and it is important that we understand that it's the, when Jesus behind the words, I thirst is a, is an accumulation. If you want to call it that of the sufferings of Christ that he has endured as he has gone to the cross and now finds himself at this particular point of the crucifixion. Now I said that there were two aspects. There was that which related to the physical, the spiritual sufferings of Christ. And that has to be understood in the context that Jesus, we know uh, he is uh, the son of man in his, in his humanity, but he's also the son of God in his divinity. So you have Jesus, the man and Jesus, uh, the son of God that is uh, uh, culminated in his being. And so these two aspects are playing themselves out simultaneously on the cross. And when Jesus speaks the words, I thirst, those two aspects are, are converging together in order to give us an understanding of what Jesus is saying as well when he says these particular words. But what I first want us to note is the words themselves in verse 28, because the Bible says specifically to us, it, it points us to the fact that this, that what is happening is prophetic. It's a result of not only of the foreordained uh, plan and purposes of God before the foundations of the world, which we know that, but also throughout the scriptures, we find that there are uh, prophecy after prophecy that relate to Christ, his coming and his life and, and ultimately his death. And so Jesus is acutely aware of these things. 
and he's very mindful of the prophetic aspect of what is being fulfilled and what is going on and what is written and obviously the fact that he's going to fulfill every prophecy to the detail and so this is uh, why the bible says uh, after this jesus knowing all things were now accomplished in terms of his purpose and the plan of god in the crucifixion and his death but it also says that the scripture might be fulfilled so he's mindful of the fact that he must fulfill that which has been written that which has prophetically been spoken of and so it is that that is is in his mind and leads him also to speak the words as he's going to fulfill every aspect of prophecy that is spoken of him in the scripture and therefore the bible says as a result of this he says i thirst you see this particular statement is related to the prophetic scripture in psalm 69 now i'm going to go through some aspects of that so if you have your bible you can turn through it or you can just watch whatever suits you but we're going to go through some of those scriptures there so you can get an overview and an understanding because there are a number of um uh, uh, obviously there are many, many prophetic aspects in the Bible. In the Psalms, there are what we call some messianic Psalms that deal specifically with the Christ and his sufferings and the crucifixion. And so Psalm 22 is one of those. We'll refer to that in a minute. But also Psalm 69, which is a direct reference that when Jesus says that the scripture might be fulfilled in his mind, he's thinking of Psalm 69 and he's thinking of these particular words that are being uttered and spoken there. So, um, so let me just, before we look at Psalm 69, I want to just bring to your attention Psalm 22, which uh, deals with this aspect of I thirst and uh, provide a bit of a backdrop. In Psalm 22, verse 14, the, uh, the Bible says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a, bot a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. And so just in those statements alone, the psalmist prophetically, in spite of the Holy Spirit, he's writing about the crucifixion, and he's pointing to a particular time of that crucifixion, which we are now focused on. And he says, I'm being poured out like water. And he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, a potsherd, meaning um, uh, that's symbolic of a dry clay that has, uh, has, has, has dried so far out and, uh, and is dried up. And so Jesus is saying, is my strength, is, my strength is, is like that. He's making a comparison of him being depleted of physical strength. My tongue clings to my jaws. And so we get this picture of uh, when he says, I thirst, then surely we're seeing where Jesus is at uh, when he makes this statement. We get an overview. Now, let's just go, if we can, to Psalm 69, because this is the sequence of events that Jesus is mindful of when he says that all the scriptures might be fulfilled. And in Psalm 69, there is a sequence of events that, uh, uh, that are being uh, outlined or that are noted in relation to the crucifixion. And so, um, for example, look at verse 1 to 3 in Psalm 69. It says, save me 
O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I've come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Now remember, this is at the end of, of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he says, uh, physically speaking, he says, uh, my throat is dry. And so again, this is all related. Though the psalmist is speaking of himself in many aspects, uh, this is inspired of the Holy Spirit pointing to, to Christ and his crucifixion. So if you go to verse four, he says, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. So here he's talking about, they hated me without a cause. Those that have hated me without a cause, Jesus being perfect and righteous, the lamb of God without sin. And yet here they are crucifying an innocent man without cause. Again, we see the prophetic aspect. Go to verse seven. He says, because for your sake, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face and he was despised and rejected as the scripture tells us. And here he is, he's bearing the shame uh, of, of death uh, and uh, being numbered with the transgressors and the reproach that is upon him as a result of what he is bearing and going through. And so he says, for your sake, I have borne that reproach and shame has covered my face. Look at verse eight. He says, I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. I mean, and, and again, we see that, that, that his own rejected him. And even his brothers at this particular point in time have not believed in him. And so again, the scriptures are prophetic and are being fulfilled. Look at verse 11. I also made sackcloth my garment. I'm, uh, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak about me and I am the song of the drunkards and how they did, they mocked him and how they spoke against him and said, well, if he's the son of God, come down from the cross. And so you have a picture of the crucifixion right here in Psalm 69. And as it uh, goes through various aspects, we come to verse 20, which uh, focuses in on our text uh, in John, where it says uh, these words, reproach has broken my heart. And I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Now, verse 21, they also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And so here it is. Jesus, when he says, I thirst. And directly later, they fill a sponge and they put it and then they... Uh, put it to him and it's a, a, a vinegar or sour wine in this instance. To, and he says, for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And so if you read the text, you'll find that, that that's exactly what they did. After he had said the words, I thirst, they put that sponge filled with sour wine and they, they gave it to him. And the Bible says that they put it to his mouth and he received, he received it. Now it's important to note that in this instance, he received it. But there's another instance in the scripture that leads up to the crucifixion of Christ, where he is offered uh, sour wine, 
and the Bible says in, it's in Matthew's account in chapter 27. And as he's carrying his cross and heading towards Calvary, the Bible says that they offered him uh, uh, a sour wine uh, mingled with gall to drink but he refused to drink it. You see, the reason being is that this particular wine was mingled with gall. And, uh, and in other words, it, was, it, it had a sedative effect. There was a drug that was associated with that that would kind of um, dull the senses, that would help him to endure the pain and the sufferings that he was going through. And Jesus was going to have none of it. He was not going to, in any way, shape, or form, undermine the, 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 the extent of his sufferings that he would have to endure. And he was not partake of that goal in order to numb the pain that he was enduring and was about to endure at Calvary. But here in this instance, he says the words, I thirst. You see, Jesus was not dull to his senses. He was in full control of his mind. His body, as it was in, uh, going through the, 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 the immense sufferings that he was enduring. And it's out of this that sets the scene for the words, I thirst. Because the, behind the words, I thirst, is a symbol and, uh, of suffering and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said at the beginning, there are two aspects to this. There's the physical and the spiritual. And so in the physical sense, we can see this morning that this, uh, the words I thirst are directly correlated to the fact that he is suffering physically. This is evidence of his humanity, first and foremost. You see, think about it. I mean, God doesn't thirst, does he? God's not thirsty. I mean, Jesus himself, he said, I'm the water of life. And so there's no need, him, no need for him to thirst in the spiritual sense. But nevertheless, uh, uh, physically speaking, we, uh, the, the words I thirst speak of his physical sufferings that he started in, the, in, in, in Gethsemane and went all the way to Calvary to the cross of Christ. You see, the, the, body, the physical sufferings that Christ endured are real. I mean, the Bible says he sweated great drops of blood. And the physical violence that was uh, uh, um, um, uh, uh, done against him and done to him, beaten, lashed, hair pulled out, uh, beard pulled out, hands and feet pierced on that cross. And the, the list goes on and on. And so we know that Jesus this morning endured a long physical process of suffering. And also leading up to the crucifixion, obviously this is happening, but even the process of crucifixion itself is horrific because the, the whole process of crucifixion is as one is hanging there, uh, the whole process of death involves uh, um, a dehydration and ultimately asphyxiation in which um, uh, one uh, cannot begin to breathe and the lack of oxygen begins to, as the blood thickens, as one hangs upon the cross. I mean, in terms of the physical death, but we know that Jesus, he didn't die that physical death in the same manner because he Later, he gives up his spirit. So his life was never taken, but he gave it. But the point is, is that um, he was dehydrated. He was so dehydrated through this whole process that had gone on for days. And here he is on the cross and he is literally physically thirsty, dehydrated. And that's why in Psalm 22, it says, my tongue clings to my jaws. 
In other words, his tongue is dry and stuck. Could you imagine some uh, the sensation of that? I mean, we get a, a minor taste of sometimes being dehydrated and what it means to thirst. But Jesus is, a, is the extent of his, thir- of his thirst is such that his, uh, his tongue is dry and it's stuck uh, uh, to his mouth. Uh, he is thirsty and he says, I thirst. And so it's in that context this morning of his sufferings, of his physical thirst. He says, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar to drink, and he partook of that on the cross as they put that sponge to his mouth, and he partook of a small amount, I would assume. I'm not sure uh, there at Calvary. So there's the physical aspect. But I said to you that there's also a spiritual component that's associated to these words, I thirst. And so uh, as much as Jesus suffered physically, the Bible tells us uh, also that the, the sufferings of Christ were spiritual, not just physical. And so uh, remember, we talk about Gethsemane and we look at the uh, physical aspect of the fact that he sweat great drops of blood. But the Bible says these words, he began to be in agony of soul. So in other words, uh, there was something that was going on internally in Christ. There was an agony of soul. There's something that's going on spiritually within him that causes the physical bleeding. And so there's the physical aspect, absolutely. But there is the spiritual aspect that we have to also understand that is at work and playing itself out here. And so the Bible says he began to be in agony of soul. Up until this point, he was not because he knew what was coming. And it wasn't just the fact that we looked at this already. It wasn't just the fact that what he was going to have to physically go through and the cup that he was going to have to drink. But he also knew some of the spiritual um, um, um aspects of what was going to take place and that's why he was in an agony of soul that's why on the cross he said those words and he cried out the bible says my god my god why have you forsaken me and again we've looked at this the the the, this caused immense suffering immense grief to the heart this was internal this was not physical in this in this sense And so Christ is bearing in his spirit a a spiritual conflict at this moment of time. And we looked at that last week, that why have you forsaken me? There is a time in the point of crucifixion where the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And the whole aspect of darkness over those three hours in the middle of the day was a picture of Christ's agony of soul. And so he could he he is bearing the uh, the sin of mankind penal substitution he's being punished on our behalf and it is in this sense that is not just a physical suffering that christ is enduring but also there is a spiritual suffering that he is enduring at that point in time let me try and at least maybe give an example or highlight possibly some some of that suffering uh, and um, and I, I do, I'll do that by drawing our attention to a particular story or parable that Jesus gave about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, if you're familiar in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, where this is told by Christ, 
you understand that there was a rich man and Bible says he fared well, but there was a poor name man named Lazarus who would feed from the crumbs that would fall from his table. And so, and so the Bible says that they both died and the poor man, Lazarus uh, was taken into uh, Abraham's bosom and the rich man was taken into Hades, which is a, in this context was a, um, um, a holding place, if you want to call it or a prison in, that relates to hell being the ultimate or, or um, uh, Gehenna being the ultimate destination. But nevertheless, we find the representation of what is going on here. And in that particular story, Jesus gives the rich man is, is, is in, is in Hades, is in torment. And the, the, and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom being comforted. And in that, and in that aspect, the Bible says that the, uh, there's a great gulf that's there. They can't, they can't swap. They can't switch. He can't cross. And then, uh, he cries out to, um, his, uh, his master. And he says in Luke 16, verse 24, then the rich man, it says, cried out and he said, father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. You see in giving us a picture of hell in giving us a picture of what it means to be separated from God in giving us a picture of the sufferings that are associated with, with, with hell and the torment that is in, in uh, is in the flames as, Jesus describes here. He gives us a picture that Lazarus says that, that he, that, that, um, uh, sorry, that the rich man says, let Lazarus just dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. In other words, he has a thirst. There is a thirst that is in this particular man's soul and uh, he's wanting it to be quenched, but he can't have it quenched. And so because he's bearing in himself now the consequence of hellfire and his sin. You see, it was uh, one, of, one commentator by the name of Matthew Henry. He said, and I'll quote him, he said these words. He said, the torments of hell are represented by a violent thirst. The, uh, in, in the complaint of the rich man and, uh, who begged for a drop of water to cool his tongue, um, actually, I'll start that again. Excuse me. The torments of hell are represented by a, vis a violent thirst in the complaint of the rich man who begged for a drop of water to cool his tongue to that everlasting thirst. We had all been condemned if Christ had not suffered on the cross. Now think about that. So here it is. The, the torments of hell are represented by a violent thirst that uh, uh, which is the result of the in-depth suffering that he is uh, uh, the rich man is enduring in Hades, which is symbolic of of for that which relates and will be of those who are condemned to hell this morning who will not be in the presence of God. But you see, we understand that the that that is the everlasting thirst that will be associated with all those that are condemned and under the condemnation of hell and sin. But you see, Christ suffered on the cross and he bore in himself death. 
and uh, having bore our sin and having cried out the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We get another picture of the sufferings that are, uh, that Christ is enduring. That's not physical, but it is spiritual this morning. And this was also part of the cup that Jesus had to drink. It was the cup of iniquity in which he would bear the sin of the world. And he said these words, shall I not drink of the cup that my father has given me? And Jesus was willing not only to suffer the physical uh, uh, aspects of the crucifixion, but he was also prepared for what he would endure in his own soul as a man and as uh, the son of man on that cross in which God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so when he said the words, I thirst, as he came out of that moment, remember Matthew's gospel, it is directly related to this. It's right after those words that they gave him the sour wine. And it was right after this that he spoken at those words, I thirst. Because it wasn't just the physical dehydration, it was the spiritual aspect as well in which uh, uh, he was thirsting for his father because later he will go on to say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, uh, I found this statement. It said, death and the curse were in our cup. O Christ, it was full for thee. But you have drained the last dark drop. It is empty now for me. You see, Jesus has paid it all. Amen. He has suffered uh, to the full extent in which his life has been given as a ransom for all. He drank the cup of iniquity. He drank uh, and he bore in his body the sins of men. And the, the cup that was full for us was poured out on him. And now the cup is empty. Hallelujah. And now we are able to partake of the divine nature. We are able now to partake of spiritual realities because of what Christ has done. Or in other words, amen, we also are able to have our thirst quenched through Christ and through the spirit of God who dwells in us. You see, uh, this brings us to various other aspects that I just want to consider with you briefly this morning. But when we consider the cross, when we consider all of these aspects, the suffering and the, the physical and the spiritual aspects of this. It is sometimes difficult for us to fully fathom uh, all of these things. We understand certain aspects because the Bible is explicit in its, in its word, in its prophecies, in what it states. So it tells us, so we were able to get an understanding and see certain things. But to be able to relate to what Jesus went through, to be able to really understand that, we can't. But you know what? He, having gone through what he has gone through, can relate to us. Amen? Because you see, the Bible tells us about the fact that, uh, and this is what, uh, when you look at the sufferings of Christ that are behind the words, I thirst, another principle that we can draw from this is the fact that Jesus uh, um, and all that he went through was a symbol of his submission to, to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. In actual fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews and chapter five, verse eight, it says, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
And the Bible says that as our high priest, having um, um, made propitiation for our sins by the offering of himself, by being going through all that he did as the son of man, and by enduring all that he did on the cross, he has qualified all those uh, conditions that reach the requirements to function as in his high priesthood. And according to the order of Melchizedek, we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, having been tempted in all things as we ourselves are. And the Bible says he's able to aid us. He's able to help us. And so there's an identification that Christ has with us. Amen. And therefore, I believe that, that, and this is the part that I want to bring our attention to as we look at one last aspect, is that Jesus knows our need. He knows our thirst because we all, that the thirst that Jesus spoke of in relation to himself is a universal thirst that encompasses all of mankind this morning. Because you know what? Doesn't matter. The fact is that the reality of life is such that all men have a thirst and it represents man's universal need and the thirst of his own soul. And the sufferings of life that we endure in the world that we live in today. I mean, look at the whole COVID issue of the last six months and the sufferings that that is causing people. If only they had hope. If only they knew Christ. See, mankind has a thirst. Isn't it interesting that over the period of lockdown, um, over the COVID, one of the things that they kept open was bottle shops <laughs> so that man could quench his thirst. You see, they weren't thinking of his physical thirst, but rather they were thinking of his spiritual thirst, his, his, his nourishment of soul. They thought, well, you know what? He, he needs something to be able to drown his sorrows because not only are they physically thirsty, they are spiritually thirsty. So let's leave the alcohol uh, places open so that we can buy our alcohol, come home and drown our sorrows. And that is exactly how mankind quenches his thirst. He says, I thirst, what should I do? Well, I'll just go down and get a, and get, get a drink. And that's what mankind does. They, there's a thirst in man. No, mark it down. There's no doubt about it. But how they quench that thirst is in different ways. Some through alcohol. Some through various aspects of drugs. Others through the pursuit of money and power. Others through the pursuit of pleasure and sex and the list goes on and on and on because mankind is trying to satisfy his soul but we know that life uh, um, uh, ultimately leaves men dry and especially when it's associated with sufferings as they come in this life see jesus said remember when he met the woman at the the samaritan woman and the woman at the well in john chapter four and he said to he said to her, he who drinks of this water from the well will thirst again. And that is exactly the world that we live in. They draw water from one well and then they get the, and then that doesn't satisfy their thirst. They get thirsty. So they go to another well in order to try and satisfy their need. And they move from one thing to the other. But Jesus says, if you drink from the wells of this world, you will thirst again. But Jesus speaks of water that he will give, that will quench the thirst that is in the soul of man this morning. And he says uh, that uh, to this Samaritan woman, he says, the water that I shall give 
shall become into you as a fountain springing up into everlasting life. See, this is not a well in which you draw water from, but rather this is a spring within the human spirit, in the human soul that springs forth life. The Bible says that the, la the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Hallelujah. And so when we have Christ in us and the Holy Spirit is in us, we have life and life more abundantly. It's a spring of life that quenches the thirst of the, of the, of the human soul. Isn't that what Jesus said in John's gospel? Chapter 7, verse 37. You know it well, I'm sure. But let's read it because on that last day of that great day of the feast, verse John 7, verse 37, Jesus stood and he cried out and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. You see, church, this is what we are partakers of. We are partakers of the divine nature. We are talking about everlasting life. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You see, the thirst is quenched, not from the wells of this world, but by the living water, amen, that's in us. And so Jesus, in having accomplished all that he did at Calvary, he knows the thirst of men. And he's the one that can quench it. Hallelujah. You see, as I said, the issue for man is not whether he will thirst, because he will. But how will he quench it? And there's only one that can quench that thirst. It's only Jesus that satisfies. And that's why the scripture says in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. You see, that's the disposition of our heart this morning. We have a thirst for God and a thirst that uh, is con constantly met. Because the truth is, is that um, uh, in the Christian life, there are many things that we have to endure. But you know what? We have a source this morning. And uh, uh, that is available to us, as Jesus has pointed out, and that is quenched. And so when we consider the words I thirst this morning, we have considered them as they relate to Christ. We've considered them as they relate to the sinner. And now I just want to just briefly, as I conclude, with one last thought as it relates to the saint, to the child of God. Now, this is important because... We've got to be mindful of this. You see, God's heart was pained as a result of the children of Israel. And, um, you know, Jeremiah, the prophet in speaking, and God speaks to him and through him. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water and whom themselves cisterns 
broken cisterns that can hold no water. And see, so now this is relates now to us as the people of God, as the children of God. And the truth and the reality is, is that we can uh, uh, quench our thirst by other means. And this is what, this is what Israel did. They had God, God says they've committed two evils. One, they had forsaken him and two, they'd forsaken him, the fountain of living waters. That's the first thing that they did. And how tragic it is that one would do that. And, but the, and he says the second evil is that, they'd made, that they've made themselves their own cisterns to hold water. So, they've, so they said, we don't want the living water. We're going to create our own cisterns and we're going to hold our own water. But God says they are broken cisterns and they can hold no water. And how true it is. If you build on anything else other than Christ, it will not satisfy. Everything will fall apart. You will thirst again. They are broken cisterns, the scripture says. Don't forsake the fountain of living waters. And so even more than ever, today in the the hour in which we live, there's nothing that this world can offer us to satisfy that thirst. It is Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Isn't it interesting, as I conclude, that the last, some of the last scriptures or, uh, uh, found in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, the final, some of the final words of scripture is found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And so here it is. And the spirit and the bride say, come. That's what, that's what we're focused on. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And so we have a a fountain church. We have a river that flows. We all it comes down to is our desire. Do we desire him in them after the manner that we should? Because let us guard our hearts for out of it spring the issues of life. Let us not forsake the fountain of living waters. Let us not build our own cisterns because you know what? They lead to nowhere. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus because only he satisfies. He thirst. Amen. So that we wouldn't have to thirst again. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. My God, for the, the work that you have accomplished at Calvary. When we consider the words I thirst and their relevance to you and all that you have accomplished, all that you have went gone through and Lord, that which you have provided for us. Oh God, we are forever grateful and we are thankful. Lord, let us be faithful. Let us not forsake the fountain of living waters. Let us not Lord build our own systems, but let us Lord keep our eyes only upon you. And like this Bible says, Lord, Come, let the spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus. Because we thirst for you. My soul pants for the living God. So blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you this morning. Yes, Lord, dear Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you that you bore the penalty for our sin. Lord, we thank you that we could be reconciled to the Father through you, my God. Lord, I just pray that in this place, Lord, that we would come, come to the fountains of living waters, Lord, that we would come to know you and to serve you and to seek you, Lord, and that 
you would continue to work your work in us as a church. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. And thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. Church.